Welcome back to Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast that asks the question, is Percy Beth the greatest love story ever told? Today, we are so excited to be covering the second most hyped ship in the Reardonverse, Solangelo, to prepare for May's release of The Sun and the Star. We've got new and returning guests to join us on this journey, so stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Content warning for a hot topic of <laughs> Tumblr. Tumblr really should actually be a content warning. You need consent for that one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to season four of Seaweed Brain. I think I decided this is officially the first episode of season four of Seaweed Brain because we're covering. Wait, that's so much pressure. We're covering the sun and the star. Like, this is the start of our conversation about the sun and the star. And then season five is going to be like the predictions for Disney Plus, right? That kind of that maybe that makes sense. That's right? like a really short season four. You guys we'll are in your Solangelo era. Nobody yeah. does twenty two episodes anymore. That's true. This is our like limited series. Yeah, th- this is our the network's having a weird year season. This is our TV <laughs> is tanking. We're in a recession, and there's a writer strike going on. Season. Oop! Wow, that was really real. <laughs> well, welcome back to one of our guests today, Megs from the Monstrous Woman podcast. What's up, Megs? Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. I'm so excited you're here as a, you know, great friend, great podcaster, also blonde person. Very important (laughs) to be present for this conversation. Yes, because blondes always need more representation. Meg's resemblance to Walker Scobell is something that can be studied <laughs> clinically. Yeah, that's like a common topic of discussion. Once you put on the green flannel, it's all over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and we have a brand new guest today, new to being on the podcast, but frankly, longtime friend of the pod. It's Bridget. What's up, Bridget? Oh my God, I'm eternally grateful to be here. What's up is I'm a Percy Jackson super fan, but a Seaweed Brain podcast super fan. Like truly have been listening from the start, haven't missed an episode. My dream has been to be on this podcast. And in fact, the day that you followed me back, I like posted on my snap story. I was like, not Seaweed Brain podcast following me back. And then I was like, when are they going to ask me to be on the pod though? And then you literally, you sent me that right after I posted it. I was like, I'm a manifester. It's as simple as that. So thank oh my you. God. I'm forever grateful. I'm so excited to have you here. I have so many questions. The first one is, how did you find us? Yeah. Okay. So I was late to the game in reading Heroes of Olympus. I didn't read it until the summer of 2020. And I didn't know it existed even until like a summer before that. Like I was out of the PJO world for a while. I read Heroes of Olympus. It shook my world up. It literally changed my life and like reignited. I literally have a number seven tattoo for the Prophecy <gasps> of the Seven. I'm not playing around. <laughs> and basically I had finished reading it and I was working as a housekeeper and I was like, how can I ingest Percy Jackson content while cleaning? And your guys was the first podcast that came up. I literally listened to every episode to get up to date and then was just like, yeah, this is this is my life now. So that's how it happened. <laughs> 
That's so cool. Wow. Oh my God. Yeah. It's so cool to have you here because I do feel like you've been like messaging us and we've been chit chatting for like literally since the dawn of time. Um, And now it's so fun to have you. Tell us about who your godly parent is or like who your monster lineage is, et cetera. What kind of dryad you are. I'm a Libra, so it's Aphrodite. I mean, it couldn't be anything other than Aphrodite. Love Piper. Love the Aphrodite cabin. We've always been here for it. But as a kid, if you would have asked me in my Percy Jackson heyday, I would have been like, Athena, you know, so. As someone who doesn't know that much about Zodiac stuff, what does Libra have to do with Aphrodite? So Libra is ruled by the planet Venus connected to Aphrodite. So like all things like beauty and luxury and love and relationships and intimacy, that's all Libra. That's all Venus. That's all Aphrodite. That is so interesting because my dad is a Libra and I always thought Libras were like emotionless judges of equality, you know, like the scales that they were only judging on justice. They weren't based on emotions. Scales. That's another big Libra archetype. It's like the justice and like the shallowness, but also like the appreciation for beauty in the arts, which I identify with. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Mark Ito does love Andrew Lloyd Webber. So he, he certainly has an appreciation for the arts, I would say. I love that. Um, Good to know. You learn something new every day. Okay. (laughs) We're going to be here with Bridget and Megs this week and also next week. Also, maybe we should introduce ourselves because it's been a while and this is the first episode of a new season. I'm Erica. I'm the co-host of this podcast along with... Hi, I'm Carter. I'm also a co-host of this podcast. Oh my God. Do you come here often? Wow. (laughs) We're going to talk about Nico. We're going to talk about Will. We're going to talk about Solangelo today. Um, Next week, we're going to get into predictions for the sun and the stars. So let's kick this off by asking our guests what these characters and this ship has meant to you both. (laughs) I read the Percy Jackson books quite late. I've also never been a co-host on a Percy Jackson podcast. I have just guested on an absurd amount of Percy Jackson podcasts. <laughs> so I'm like there by proxy. That being said, I loved Nico so much as I was reading the books and also was like, how many more times is this small boy going to be traumatized? Because really, like up through Heroes of Olympus, it is like rough going for this you know child who's like the youngest among them also. Yeah. Yeah. And then they were like, he's gay and I was like oh that's why yeah we found it and I was like too real and then he got to date like a sunshine boy and I was like look we're gonna turn it around and he's gonna get a book which I find very exciting I don't know if it's as much like Nico and Will that I love like I think I love the idea of Solangelo and like I'm going to eat up like every bit of that book like regardless but I think I'm more so a huge Nico stan and have just identified with him and loved him and cherished him from the very start. Like every sentence of Nico is everything. And especially like the Nico Reina chapters. I wish we could get a book of that, to be honest, but yes. I'm still going to love the journey, the gay journey through Tartarus. Like we're all going to be here for it. We're on the ride. Absolutely. And I think that the listeners know about what Carter and I think about these things. But I guess, you know, on the off chance that someone is tuning into Seaweed Brain here in 2023 into season four for the first time, um, Nico is very special to both of us. I will not speak from the eye perspective. I will speak for both of us in this instance because (laughs) Nico was a big part of us reading these books together because Carter and I met in sixth grade, all the original series we had already read. So like we weren't in each other's lives Mm -hmm. when Titan's Curse, you know, came out, Um, but we were for Heroes of Olympus. So yeah, that that, the whole journey of Nico uh, is Nico's forced outing and all of that was something that we 
shared together. Specifically, we shared it in the sense that I went and got Erica in the library, Cook Library, the day that um, I read the passage in which Nico is forcibly outed by Cupid in like Diocletian's palace. I can't remember what city it is. I went and I got her and I spoiled it. And um, <laughs> it is a foundational event, a foundational memory for our friendship, for this podcast, for queer discourse in America broadly, I would say. Broadly. Um, yeah. Especially yeah, for because, sure. Like, for the record, I did have a big crush on Nico. Like, I don't know how much we've clarified that. Like, he not only was he my comfort <laughs> character growing up, I loved him. I loved him more than Percy. I was like, that's my emo king. Like, You got to tell people about the usernames, Erica. Oh, yeah. Um, we've <laughs> talked about this before. I guess if you're new or it's been a while, maybe you don't remember. But yeah, my inst- my first Instagram username was erica.d.angelo. It was my password for everything. Boy, and that's what made Carter... <laughs> <laughs> running into the library like not only was it a spoiler it was like Carter knew that they had to tell me this because they were like Erica I don't mean to shatter your hopes and dreams that's probably literally what I said yeah context, to be clear, it wasn't like that I was mad about spoilers it was that it was like heart shattering yeah like I have to change my Instagram handle I actually have a coworker, like an adult coworker, like close to 30 years old coworker who just recently got married and her husband's last name is D'Angelo and I had to tell her all of this I had to explain what first of all like from scratch what Percy Jackson is and then like who Nico is just so she could understand like the depth of how exciting it was for her to be marrying this man <laughs> for no other reason. Yeah. And so like, also we didn't grow up with Solangelo. I guess none of us did. So we come at the ship as, as elders within this fandom as old people. As people who had a good, long, devoted, strong, special relationship with Nico, who we would do anything for, for, you know, many years, many formative years before Will um, existed. That's not a bad thing. It is what it is. It is what it is. Okay, <laughs> now that we've kind of laid the groundwork here for our context of where we come at these characters, this ship, let's talk about Will, who I believe, according to the wiki, that is HTTPS dot dot slash, I always say dot dot, but it's colon. I don't know. I, since I was a child, I've always <laughs> said HTTPS dot dot, meaning like up dot down dot slash slash com slash wiki slash Will underscore Solus. He appears in... The Last Olympian. Does he appear before that? No, because we're focused on a different Apollo camper who I believe dies at the Michael end of the Battle of the Labyrinth. Youth, noted Asian American. <gasps> wow. I feel like every time you say that, I realize it all over again because it does not compute for me, even though literally I know at least one person in the real world who's named Michael Yu and is like, Absolutely. <laughs> a second generation Chinese American. According to Wiki, <laughs> Will's mom is an alternative country singer. And that is what drew Apollo to her, which I think is hilarious, of course, because Will did not inherit any of the musical powers as far as we know. It canceled out. He had it on both sides. Also, can somebody name an alternative country music singer? Is Casey Musgraves not I was gonna an alternative say Casey country Musgraves. singer? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So it's like pop country, not really a genre. It's just like alt country. I don't know enough about country music to answer yeah. this. Despite what you might assume. You're supposed to be our blonde guest. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, wow. that's not the exact type of white person I am. I've always strayed from country music. It's just not my More thing. More of a boy genius white person, Meg. Yeah, exactly. I am gay. So maybe that's why Will didn't inherit it. Mm-hmm. I googled this phrase and the first uh, name result that means something to me is Jason Isbell. 
Um, Google also seems to believe that uh, Katie Lang and Patty Griffin are alternative country artists. Cool. Jurgel Simpson as well. That's the name that I've seen on Grammy nomination lists, and I probably could not tell you anything about what the music sounds like. But Katie Lang, that means something to me. So does Rick listen to alternative country, and that is why it was a genre that he named? Because I feel like that's a real view into his personal life. You know, like Barack Obama's playlist. <laughs> I feel like that's what Rick listens to. (laughs) Stop. I think that's probably exactly right. And that's... Like, after he makes that, I mean, like, Rick... Like goes it's out like, there. It's like, oh, I like, know what to listen to. Yes, one at a time. Yes. into a playlist. His kid like puts it on Spotify for him. Yes. Wow. I'm thinking about this now. Do you think Rick heard Ethel Kane for the first time and also was like really gagged? One hundred percent. Will fights in the Battle of Manhattan in the Last Olympian. This is where we get to know him. We're focusing on Michael Yu in this battle, who is currently the head of the Apollo cabin. We have to go back here because I think we confuse two people here. Michael Yu is temporarily the head of the Apollo cabin and does die on the bridge. But before that, another Apollo camper dies in the Battle of the Labyrinth, who is also the head of the cabin. It's <gasps> Lee Fletcher, famed pun name Lee person. Lee Fletcher. Rip to a legend. Yes. This was also before I knew growing up that Lee could be a white person name. So to me, Lee Fletcher, you are also an Asian Lee Fletcher American is also kid. Asian American. <laughs> it is confusing because this is like in terms of Reading time, if you're going straight through them, in very quick succession, Lee Fletcher dies, and then Michael Yu dies, and they are successive heads of the Apollo cabin, who we really do not know that many things about, other than that maybe their names are kind of both puns. It shows that Rick was, like, cooking up drama in, like, the Apollo cabin and the Apollo world for longer than we thought he was. I saw a tweet that was, like, at the start of the Battle of Manhattan, the Apollo cabin was, like, one of the largest, and then by the end of it, it's the smallest. And I don't know, like, where the fact-checking is on that, but they do suffer some severe losses during the original series. Is this, like, because they're not battle-savvy? Is this Rick being, like, well, they're not exactly survivors so like is it a comment on their abilities it's weird because they're also not supposed to be frontline warriors like if you have any reasonable amount of strategy they're supposed to be at the back right because they're archers exactly and we know annabeth had it together exactly i think maybe rick just had the most ideas for apollo like archery puns so he named a bunch of them and then they all had to die (laughs) because they were named characters yeah so okay so lee fletcher passes away and now Michael Yu is the head counselor. But then in the Williamsburg Bridge, of course, Michael Yu like disappears um, and they never find his body. So we have to presume him dead. So Will becomes head counselor of the Apollo cabin while he is like serving as more or less like lead battle medic. He's yes. the one who uh, <laughs> Percy is like, you come with me to like heal Annabeth. And that's kind of all we know about him in Battle of Manhattan. Although I believe he is the one that I, I noted this specifically for Carter. I believe he's the one who tells the Stoll brothers not to raid Dylan's candy bar and the Dwayne Reed. <laughs> yes. Oof. Responsible. That was the day Carter's beef with Will Solis began. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it a time delay thing? Wasn't it like a don't not get these injured people's supplies? Or was it like an anti-raiding? I think it was anti-raiding. I, guess those are I think it was like, we need to protect... The integrity and oh, wow. the uh, rights of CVS. <laughs> oh, that no, was the, That was the implication I took away from that, and that was uh, okay. suboptimal. Yeah, for sure. According to the wiki, he sent Travis Stoll to a store for mortal medical supplies, insisting that the Hermes campers leave some form of payment and not steal if it was possible. Mm, kind of a loser. <laughs> 
<laughs> so then we see him again in The Lost Hero. He is kind of a prominent camp figure at this time. He is the one who like shows Piper, Jason, and Leo around camp. Again, he's like mad at somebody for like crashing his chariot. Um, he is sort of have like tired head counselor energy throughout this book. Also notably at a meeting for head counselors, there's a note that Will is at the table absentmindedly wrapping and rewrapping an ace bandage around his wrist, which is like, oh, what a quirky medic. <laughs> like when you take a quiz, that's like, who's your godly parent? And it's like, do you prefer a skull ring or an ace bandage? Like, what is your accessory of choice? <laughs> It's like, how many band-aids do you have on right now? It's like, do you yeah. love band-aids or do you love the ocean? <laughs> Would you rather be in a beach or a hospital? Do you want to work in a library or the ER? <laughs> the only other two bullet points I had for us to discuss here under Will Solis was blonde and then powers. So thoughts on these two things, everyone? I just think he's utterly uninteresting. I'm not a Will hater. I feel like it's really coming across that way. <laughs> Listen, when I'm reading a book, I'm a different person because I'm like immersed. Like Rick could be putting anything on the page and I'm at least a little bit into it in the moment. But I think Will overall, he's just good guy. Like I want to see something else happen. I want to see a big character flaw. I want his fatal flaw. I want Mm. him to do something. Or it's like if he's going to be a himbo, then I want him to turn it up to 10. Like he's either going to be a himbo (laughs) on 10 or he needs he needs something else going on with him other than being blonde. (laughs) Yeah. Is this the right time for the blonde conversation? Should I leave? No, Megs, you need to be here as a representative. I can mute myself. I am not going to say that blonde people should not have rights um, or should not, like, don't deserve things. (laughs) What is that one tweet about the frogs? When something, something, when God calls um, all of his children, will frogs not sing in the choir? Will blonde people not sing in the choir? They will. You know, um, this is a famous tweet. I'm not quoting it correctly. I'll look it up. This is not important. The point is, there's a pre-existing trope that I feel like maybe is even weirdly more prominent in, like, Asian media for some reason, even though blonde people like famously are not naturally occurring there, that an iconic couple should have one person with really light hair and one person with really dark hair. And probably in any given scene, the two people in the couple are the people with, it's like the person with the lightest hair and the person with the darkest hair. And sometimes there will be fun little variations on this where if it's like an experimental property, someone will have like red hair and somebody will have like blue hair or something, you know, but like fundamentally, this is a thing I think that we're all familiar with. And I feel like this is both something that is worth commenting on in the context of the dynamic between Nico and Will, but also more broadly, like Will doesn't have that much characterization initially. And that's fine. Like he works as a background character, but then when they decide that he's going to be more important, that decision is very much in the context of Nico. And therefore like, he, he's, like, trying to really quickly ramp this person up, but in a way that is dependent on another person. And also, what did we know about him before this? That he's blonde and that he's a healer. And the healer thing, to be honest, as far as a lot of these tropes go, is kind of redundant with saying that he's blonde, you know? So, like, like personality-wise, so so much of it is, is around that archetype, which gives us both something that is rigid, but also, um, you know, loose and ambiguous in a lot of important ways. Like, I don't feel like I can predict his behavior necessarily in any given scene, but I can predict his role in any scene, you know, and like what relationship he will have with any given character that appears. And that's like kind of a weird place for him to be in as a character that feels very unique among the other ways that Rick has brought new people into our lives throughout these books. Yeah, 
Anytime I read a scene with Will, it a little bit reminds me of growing up in religion and just having to play an angel in any setting. I was I was actually Mary, so I can't relate to that. Um, oh my god, you were so like complex. I was also Queen Elizabeth in the American History play, so, <laughs> so sorry, I'm just different. I was just a pilgrim or an angel. But yeah, I think Will is simultaneously just the opposite of Nico because you're right. He's his character development has just been in conjunction with Nico. So it's like Nico it does dark stuff. So Will would never. And Nico is not in touch with his emotions. So Will is like hyper emotionally intelligent. And yeah, and I think it's just to set up this plot with Nico where Nico does not see himself as lovable. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the best way to prove that he is lovable is for his exact opposite perfect boy to love him. Because if Nico had another, like, complex, morally gray partner, it would be a lot darker. It would be a lot less, like, proving that even people like Nico can be, like, good and loved and blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. I don't think Will's a super compelling character. I feel like the one trait he really develops is that he's like, we'll do the tough love thing with Nico. But I don't know how that translates outside of his relationship with Nico. Mm -hmm. I've never seen him act like that with anybody Mm -hmm. else. Yeah. Have we shared on the air ever the um, one of the greatest and truest and oldest parables about uh, modern masculinity? Uh, It's not a parable. That's the wrong way to describe it. I think it has enough weight that you could think of it as having a parable because there's like a beginning, middle, and end, even though it's one sentence. But the one sentence is that um, a man with an earring is a man without an earring with an earring. A man with an earring is just a man without an earring with an earring. We have said this before. It's a mantra. It is a theorem. I don't want to say a lot about how it applies to Will, but it does. You know what I mean? Like Will, sure. especially I think if you were to, if we were to make a lot of assumptions about Rick's process and creating this character, I think Rick was like, oh, I've made a man with an earring. And I've like made that man as a man without an earring with an earring, but because he has, but but because he's a man with an earring, that's what people will see. And like, I think a lot of people do see Will and they're like, oh my God, that's a man with an earring. And then I think a lot of, I think what we're getting at in this conversation is that we're like, oh, but a man with an earring is a man without an earring with an earring. I do see where you're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we just happen to be a panel of four people who really like morally gray characters personally. From like a personal sure. POV. So I, I really don't think that anybody who enjoys Will, you know, should not enjoy Will. I, this just happens to be more of our personal tastes on the matter. So Will being like somebody who follows rules, we're like, boo. like Megs, I think to your point, I think that it would be really interesting and fulfill a lot of the things that Rick has in mind. I hesitate to even say this because this might be considered by some people to be a prediction and a very controversial prediction about how the sun and the star is going to go. But the 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 type of fictional narrative that would interest me the most when it comes to the idea of like Nico being somebody who is had a lot of bad things happen to him and he's not sure if anyone can love him. And specifically, he's interested in knowing whether or not somebody who does not have similar ideas about trauma would be capable of loving him. I think that the interesting way to tell that story is not for them to have a relationship, but for there to be some sort of mutual expression of connection and interest. I'm thinking specifically of the great and good 2016 film Kimi no Nawa, translated as your name, in which the foundational emotional climax of the movie is somebody communicating um, that they like somebody because they think it's important for that person to know, even though there is not, at the time, 
any like that in doing so they are foreclosing the possibility that they will um, have a meaningful and lasting relationship and i think that's like um a paradigm that again we said that we were going to separate out the the two sections. This is not a prediction. This is not a desire even. I just think that it would be really interesting, especially given what you're saying about the way that Will is constructed in relation to Nico and the like plot work that he's supposed to be doing for Nico emotionally. If we are to take seriously the idea that maybe Will is not Nico's or like might not have been and was not destined to necessarily be Nico's like forever partner also their children. But like, you know, I think it's an interesting thing to think yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before we move on from Will, covering his powers real quick. What? Okay. Besides glowing and being like generally <laughs> having like a background in medical knowledge, having not gone to medical school. Being an EMT. Yeah. Do we know? Do we know if he has any other powers? <laughs> Those are two sick powers. He's a pretty gay boy, which is a power. <laughs> True. But yeah, he has True. pretty privilege, I yeah. think, for sure. I think that Rick's gonna like run it back on the musical powers and give them to him and it's gonna be a comic relief moment in Tartarus that Will is like gonna sing a ridiculous song. <laughs> I don't think it's impossible. Probably with a harp. <laughs> I do also ooh, yeah, I'll save it for the predictions, but I do also have some thoughts about the musical powers in Tartarus. <laughs> I feel like the way that the healing powers are characterized is such that there is a uh, supernatural component to them. Like, to to take it way back to that mm-hmm. time that we watched him heal Annabeth and, like, don't really know who he is yet at that point, there is this line about how he looks, like, a little physically infirm after he's done that. One could read that and assume that this is a statement about generally the effortfulness of caretaking. Or you could make the assumption that I did when I read this, which is that there is magic involved and there is, like, some sort of physical, actual mechanical tax that is being exacted on him for doing the things that he is doing. Although I guess in the, uh, whatchamacallit, in the trials, we see him more and it's not really clear ever when he's healing somebody that there is, he doesn't like ever name a um, magical component to it. Does he also have like healing powers as in like if he gets injured, can he like heal quickly? Because that would make a lot of sense as well. I don't think we know. We don't know yet. I don't think so. There's lots of ways this could go. Has he ever been injured? I don't think we've seen that. Apollo kids are built different. <laughs> I think because he's always a medic. It's like those video yeah, games. You got to put the, yeah, healer healers in the back row. I also think that he might have like a good sense of if someone is unwell. Like he can see more than just the most obvious, you know, bearings of I'm unwell physically or mentally. Like I think that he is like this deeper empathetic kind of thing going on. Or at least I hope so. I want it to be more interesting than just the surface level. <laughs> I definitely love the idea of him as a healer being particularly attracted to somebody who is particularly ill. He has the worst case of I can fix him. It is like built into his nature that he wants to heal Nico physically and emotionally. And that's apparent in Trials of Apollo. For sure. And I think it'll be interesting to see for how long Nico finds that comforting and at what point Nico will find that grating. Yes. Because... I don't think Nico wants to be a particularly perfect person. Yeah, and I think it can be both. We're, you know, leaning into discussing the nature of Solangelo as a ship now, but I think it can be both beautiful to have somebody like Percy's fatal flaw is loyalty. Annabeth has abandonment issues. Having Nico being like etern- like chronically ill and Will being a healer. That's cute. And then also it can definitely get to be too much. Like it gets to be too much for Percy and Annabeth at times. Like when Annabeth is like, I need you to leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> and like, let me do this quest by myself. Percy's like, I don't do that. Yeah. 
With Will's powers, I think it's interesting that you could set up the deep trauma of being a healer. And rather than us having really leaned into that in the narrative, the thing that is like upsetting Will or the thing that Will has had to overcome is that he doesn't feel as though he has any of the cool Apollo powers. And that is set up as like a point of insecurity for him. And I just think that's so silly goofy to be like, I can't play an instrument and I'm bad at archery. So like, I'm a loser. When you could talk about the like very, (laughs) the very real trauma of um being a medic because i understand like obviously every character needs their own personal arc and their own internal conflicts and with somebody like will who you're simultaneously trying to present as like almost perfect so that he feels like it's it's um it's unexpected to nico that he has interest in him but like you have to give him a conflict you end up with sort of like a shallow in between i feel so i hope with like a whole book we can have more even footing where they're just two characters and it's not all about Will being like virtually perfect as like a comment on Nico's worth, I guess. Cause I would like like a deeper version of Will's issues. Right. Like Nico's or Will's like pure goodness at this stage, like as we know him just being this like good guy reinforces what Nico thinks about himself, that he is purely bad and what other characters think about him. And it's making them both just like, (laughs) opposites when they both can and do exist somewhere in the middle like they're both full people or could be they should be one thing we haven't talked about yet is any like patroclus coding built into will uh as like a famously gay medic oh (laughs) now that's intriguing well we've now talked about will for almost 45 minutes should we move on to a bit of nico yeah look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Nico, 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 Nico. Italian middle name D'Angelo. Should we do a backstory speed run, maybe? Carter, you do it. Do you want 60 <laughs> seconds? 45 okay. seconds? Wait, wait, wait. Okay, if, we, if we're going to time it, we, we would have to parameterize ahead of time. Are we doing backstory like in book order or backstory in Nico's subjective experience of the world order? Nico's subjective experience of the world. 60 seconds? Sure. Okay, and go. Nico was born in Italy in the 1930s in a conservative Italian uh, Catholic Catholic family. Um, he and his older sister Bianca are not supposed to be born because there is drama going on about World War II that is problematic and complicated. So um, Zeus tries to kill them, but he doesn't succeed. And Hades uh, decides that they need to go to the Lotus Hotel to be kept alive uh, and hidden from Zeus and outside of time, which they do for a long time until they get pulled out uh, around the time of the Titan's curse and are discovered by Percy. Uh, Bianca dies on a quest with Percy and... It's a very traumatic foundational experience for Nico. He blames it on Percy, goes off on a little side quest in the Battle of the Labyrinth uh, to basically grieve and learn how to heal from this. And um, also is responsible for... Fuck, I'm not going to have enough time. He's responsible for Percy going uh, into the sticks. He uh, helps turn the tide of the war by getting his father to join them. And time. pomegranate trauma. Okay. Um Pomegranate trauma. Something we must talk about is Bianca. We have been 
getting teases that Bianca may make an appearance in The Sun and the Star, which it would be a dream ghost. Uh, dream, dream ghost. Dream ghost. <laughs> because Bianca chose to be, you know, reincarnated as far as we know. But a big question, I think a big debate that people have in the rear universe is Nico's blame on Percy for Bianca's death. How much of that is warranted? How And also Bianca, you know, choosing to leave Nico. I think this was a conversation we had way back when we were talking about Titan's Curse the first time. Um, it's still kind of like a sore, controversial conversation, I would say, within the fandom. I would say that I am by principle against the parentification of children, particularly sisters. Mm-hmm. I would also say I personally have a codependent relationship with my sibling. So true. So would I make different decisions in my own life than Bianca did? Sure. <laughs> yes. All of that being said, with Nico blaming Percy, I don't feel like he still does or at least not in a significant way no because Percy largely misunderstood that yeah and even when Percy was like oh my god like Nico's trying to kill me Nico was like bitch you're not good enough why would you think that I was trying to swap my sister's soul for yours oh yeah Percy has such a main character problem he was like Nico is so (laughs) mad at me meanwhile Nico was literally grieving yeah so am I, I'm like generally annoyed at Percy for his relationship with Nico and the way in which he handles it. But I don't think Nico is like beefing with Percy. I think Nico got over that very quick and just became a very isolated person as part of coping. And so people, and especially Percy, reads, reads that as being about him, which is quite delusional. I mean, yeah, I think even if Nico was, and even if it was just initially blaming it on Percy, like, Death is such a nasty son of a bitch. And like, especially if you're 10 years old, like you have no idea what to do or think. And if he could filter that feeling and kind of compartmentalize it in a moment in being mad at Percy Jackson, I think I'm willing to forgive him for it. (laughs) For sure. And I think that's so, I mean, anger is part of the grieving process. Anger is an easier emotion to get by with than sadness. Nico was literally surviving on his own because they just stopped looking for him at some point. So I think, yeah, whatever Nico needed to do throughout that whole thing is like very valid. Buy a leather jacket, you know? Definitely. Whatever. And I think as far as Bianca joining the Hunters of Artemis, she did the best she could. She finally arrived at a safe place. Like if there was anywhere you could leave your little sibling, it would theoretically be Camp Half-Blood. Also the like avoiding being the child of the prophecy of it all. I don't remember how much that's involved at the start of Titan's Curse, but I too would, if I had been given the opportunity to not be the half-blood to reach 16 against all odds, I would take it. Yeah. (laughs) Quick rehash of uh, Nico, Percy, Jason. (laughs) Oh no. Nico's crush on Percy. Yeah. I think is one of the most like true and real things for Rick to have ever done. Rick was so real for that. Yes. <laughs> Just like all those weird, confusing feelings you have when you meet someone who, what does Nico say? Looks like a mm-hmm. god. Well, one of his mythomagic heroes, I think, right. specifically. We forgot to mention, I forgot to mention the mythomagic. That's my bad. That's a very important omission. His hyperfixation. He also loved Percy because his first hyperfixation was pirates. And Percy was giving pirate. <laughs> Literally, Percy was giving pirate. Percy was giving mythomagic hero real life hero, the first magical demigod he ever got to meet. Shout out to Mythomagic Productions, Rick and Becky's production company. They chose to name it after 
Nico's hyperfixation. That's so special. And then we get, you know, Nico getting over that, obviously, as he grows and matures and realizes person <laughs> Years is just later. A person. Um, just a man. Just a guy. And then he He is literally just a man. He is literally just a guy. Hit yeah, him with your, your car. car. <laughs> Love Chrissy Schlepaka. Oh my god. Notable blonde. <laughs> Jason, notable blonde. Oh no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> neither did nico yes fair i will always be upset that jason was there for that yeah so jason being present for the forced outing is one thing nico calling jason like one of his only friends in trials of apollo is such a different thing yes Wait, let's be careful here nico i believe does not say jason was one of his only friends i think and correct me if i'm wrong that that is will speaking on nico's behalf to explain I think you're right, Carter. what is going on. I remember Nico being disappointed that it was Jason and not Will. <laughs> That's what I remember. <laughs> oh. When he wakes up yes. from his nap. That was from the end of Blood of Olympus. So. Yeah. So do we like Jason? It's, I'm thinking no. I'm thinking he is an acquaintance. I'm thinking Nico Co-worker? is. Exactly. Who like knows a little bit too much about you. And it's like unfortunate, but it's something that Nico is living with. Oh, you're right. It's page 92 when Will is talking to Apollo. Then he learned about Jason, the first person he really considered a friend. It really triggered a lot of stuff for him, blah, blah, blah. Will, Will, you got to stop this. Lying. So whether or not Jason actually was one of Nico's first friends, that remains up for debate. Maybe we'll hear more (laughs) about Jason in The Sun and the Star. I'm sure we'll get at least a little bit of it. Probably. Yeah, it'll probably be a bigger deal than any of us are wanting it to be, I'm going to guess. Do we think that, like, Will is going to be weirdly jealous of Jason and maybe that's actually what's going on across these (gasps) um, descriptions? Yes. You know when there's, like, okay, stop me if this is not relatable and I'm a psychopath, but you know (laughs) when there's, like, somebody in your life who, like, really bothers you but you're trying to be a good person and so you don't want to like say negative things about them so you say like overtly nice things about them a lot like to a weird degree and so will bringing up jason here and being like oh nico loved jason like jason was nico's first friend is actually will in a weird way overcompensating overcompensating <laughs> leaning into the idea of a mysticism in that relationship that is beyond will's capacity to understand and therefore something that he can maybe i don't know compartmentalize uh not feel bad about so is this a relatable thing i'm getting that this is a relatable thing it is and i also think we could take it even further and maybe Will's healing powers are, could also be killing powers. And maybe he manifested Jason's death and now he feels so bad about it that he's like, we loved, we loved Jason. We did. We promise. Okay, you lost me a little bit on that one. but <laughs> <laughs> So fair. So fair. Everything is valid here. I mean, one thing about Nico is he doesn't like things. So I don't really understand why we're assuming that he likes this man who like w- he wouldn't get along with. Literally disliked until proven liked. So I don't understand why, like, one interaction that was traumatic for Nico anyway. Okay, I mean, I get that, like, he ended up with a crush on Percy after the Bianca trauma, but I don't think that that is, like, I don't think that 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 means that, like, he's then going to have a crush on Jason. I don't think he ever (laughs) did have a crush on Jason, but I think that Will is, like, there's something weird and there's an intimacy there that I don't understand. And also, Jason's (laughs) blonde and I'm blonde. blonde Literally! He's like, we're interchangeable! Nico's gonna notice. And once again, Rick was so right for that one. (laughs) 
<sighs> this makes me feel better about the whole thing is if Nico doesn't care about Jason and it's just Will making it up out of like jealousy. I think that that's the narrative. That's we have like one month left to fully embrace that before that is either confirmed or denied. We need to sink into our delusion so that the book lines up. Literally less than a if month. If we're committed enough, we'll read it. Yeah, yeah, like literally two weeks. We also must, of course, address the trauma, the PTSD, trauma. the trauma, post-traumatic stress, generational trauma. Because, of course, not only did Nico lose Bianca, not only was Nico, did not, not only did Nico lose his mom, get trapped in a hotel, lose Bianca, try to bring Bianca back, find another sister, be gay, be gay, be outed, go to Tartarus alone. Lie. He went to Tartarus alone. And that is yeah. the trauma that we are really going to get at, theoretically, in The Sun and the Star. Although I wouldn't not put it past Mark to be like, one trauma leads to another, and we're going to go all the way back to the death of his mom. Slash to being a closeted gay person in the 1930s and 40s. And that was that up till he was 10 that he was a young Catholic Italian boy? Yeah, because they don't age in the Lotus Hotel, right? Yeah, religious trauma has not super been brought up in the books. And I think that might be because of Rick's very early stance that like, you can believe in God and this is real at the same time and it doesn't matter. Um, so it'll be interesting. Mark might. Yeah, I would love, <laughs> love to that. write about religious trauma. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we'll finally get some more background information on like Nico's formative experiences. And I mean, if he sensed the homophobia of that environment then that tells us that he did have a crush on someone before percy and so i don't know i think hearing about that would be interesting so that we stop getting this idea that like percy was the beginning of nico's sexuality and he probably had already been through quite a bit before that because percy is sort of like notably not a particularly scary person and so that wouldn't be that traumatic, right? Like, you're not that stressed about Percy's reaction to something like this. Whereas whatever happened before seems to have really informed his relationship with his queerness. That's really true. Like, I think what happened in in Italy is why he dealt with, like, really severe internalized homophobia. That makes a lot of sense, too, because if we, you know, go with our headcanoning that we as a fandom have kind of assumed everybody at Camp Half-Blood is queer and, like, all the demigods, you know, <laughs> there's not a straight one in the bunch. Yeah. Like, it would take Nico, you know, having had really negative experiences growing up as a kid to have so much internalized homophobia. And let's blame the Catholic Church. Absolutely. There's some weird relationship between, like, Catholicism and being a child of Hades that I don't have the <laughs> capacity to like tease out but there right isn't there something weird going on it feels similar like to how whenever um Satanism is portrayed they speak Latin as if like Satan decided that that was the ideal language yeah yeah it feels similar to that it's like just just it's just like gothic aesthetics and they're like those things yeah go gothic aesthetics definitely is part of it also it's making me think of the church of night in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That sort of like Antichrist Another vibe. where they do their spells in Latin. Yeah. I think it's a little bit making Hades and the devil synonymous. Definitely, yeah. Even though they're actually pretty different figures. Definitely. Or just being like Catholic and obsessed with death. Like you better make sure you're sinless before you die. You need to be like pure to come into the world. Like just always upset and you know just like the concept of hell too and how you better not go there like you better do everything you can not to go there death and Catholicism are hanging out together for sure okay for sure 
And then of course, Nico goes to therapy with Dionysus. So we're assuming he is sort of like perhaps at the start of his journey of unpacking a lot of these things when the sun and the star begins, assuming it begins right after the Tower of Nero. Is Nico's therapy with Dionysus concerning his past trauma or is Nico's therapy with Dionysus only concerning the voices he's currently hearing to discern which ones are true? I feel like Will frames it as being about mourning Jason, but we have already established that we do not find Will to be a particularly reliable narrator of that experience. Nor should, I think, I don't know, like, it would be weird to be like, yes, Will's recollection about what Nico is talking about in therapy to Apollo is a good reflection of what Nico is actually doing in therapy. That would be bad. I feel like it would be, I I would like to see something that is dealing on both levels. Like Greek mythology has a lot of things to say about states of mind that are non-normative and would be considered today to be um, maladaptive and diseased. And I can understand why someone would not want to wade into deciding like, oh, like this is how the DSM maps onto like a Greek pantheon or like a mystical understanding of <laughs> of people's psyches and of the world more broadly. But I would really be interested in where they might be going with that. The idea of the voices. I don't know. Have we? Wow. This is getting, this is such a tangent. We're gonna have to we, save this for next week. We are gonna have to save the voices for next week. Oh my God. I was just about to mention Ruth Ozeki, but I guess that's a conversation for uh, next week. I think it's time to wrap up Nico and Will, and we'll talk more about Solangelo and predictions next week, AKA the week before the book drops. Um, Megs, where can people find you on social media? They can find me on Instagram at MLPetersonWrites, where I mostly talk about books, some that I write, some that other people do. And then also I have now two podcasts. So I have the Monstrous Woman pod, It's a feminist media critique podcast. And we're dropping an episode with Carter and Erica very soon, which is about Sky High. It'll be out when this comes out. So definitely check that out because that was very fun. And then also the Truem Grammar Book Club podcast, which is going through the Heartstopper comics right now. There you go. And Bridget, what about you? Do you want the people to find you on the internet or do you want to stay unperceived? Should you feel so inclined, you can follow me on Instagram at BridgetReed underscore. But mostly you should just listen to every Percy Jackson podcast and absorb Percy Jackson media in literally any form it can be absorbed through your mind and skin um, is my recommendation to the people. Absolutely. Okay, we are going to put a pin in this and finish this conversation next week. See y'all then.